afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> so we're going to talk uh, very briefly about Spanish music, and I probably should have meant, should have said I Iberian music because we'll be including uh, Portugal as well. Um, and uh, I'm going to have one brief example of uh, music from the New World as well. Uh, and I really want to focus on two traditions. Uh, one tradition is that of popular music of Spain and the New World in this period. And the other is high art religious music of this period. Now, when you think about Spanish music, Spanish, oh great. Spanish, no. Spanish music, this is not working very well. Steve, do we have a handheld? This is coming and going for some reason, it's not liking me today. When you think of Spanish music today, what comes to mind? Thank you. What is the tradition that uh, you first think of? Flamenco. Exactly. What kind of music is flamenco? What do you, what kind of instruments? Lots of guitars, lots of percussion. Um, you see, I can read your minds. So here we go, lots of flamenco. And this is what um, Spanish music today sounds like. So lots of guitars, lots of percussion. Now, I argue that this tradition comes out of the late Renaissance into the early Baroque, exactly the period of music we are exploring in this seminar. Um, what you have here on the screen is a Spanish guitar from the late Renaissance. Uh, it's an instrument known as the villuella, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, let me give you an example of what the music sounds like. This is an anonymous work from the early 17th century. makes you want to move, doesn't it? I'm not going to do it, but um, okay. Now, uh, it's music that was often danced to, as a matter of fact. And of all these various dances uh, that were very rhythmic, uh, a lot of guitar um, accompaniment, one of the dances that was the most commonly performed in the early 17th century was a dance known as La Folia. Uh, if you went to the... Um, Apollo's Fire concert last November, you heard a wonderful example of a improvisation on La Folia by uh, the members of that ensemble. Um, it was originally a traditional dance of Portuguese peasants. And here is how uh, someone in the 1570s describes it. The Folia consisted of eight men dressed in Portuguese fashion 
who with cymbals and tambourines tuned alike, shaking rattles tied to their feet, celebrated around a drum, singing in their language verses of joy. Here is another quote. This is my favorite one, from 1611. Folia is a certain Portuguese dance, very noisy, because it involves many persons on foot with rattles and other instruments, and the noise is such and the sound is so hasty that they all look as if they are out of their minds. And thus the dance was given its name folia, which comes from the Tuscan word folle, which means mindless, crazily, senseless, empty-headed. Um, here is a sound excerpt of a folia from Peru, from the New World. So here you start to see the influence of Iberian European music on New Spain, um, on the Americas. such an important element of this music. A lot of syncopations, rhythmic displacement, uh, displacements, that's really at the core of this style. Now, moving about a century forward, one of the uh, pillars of Baroque, late Baroque music, Antonio Vivaldi, uh, writes a trio sonata based on La Folia, and this is a very well-known work that some of you may have uh, performed or listened to in, in, the, in the past, but here is what that sounds like. Uh, by the late Baroque, La Folia becomes a little bit more standardized. There is a set pattern that composers start to follow, and that's what Vivaldi does. But it still has a lot of the same rhythmic ideas and the same basic style as we were just uh, listening to in the early 17th century. Set bass. That's the bass. We're going to shift gears. We're going to go from uh, what has been a discussion of the more traditional elements, the more, fo the more folk popular elements of Spanish uh, early uh, Baroque music to a discussion of the sublime. Uh, this will go very well with what Charlotte Holton was just talking about. Uh, music that is religious, and the composer I want to talk to you today, the only composer among many, is uh, Victoria, Tomas Luis de Victoria, uh, who died in 1611, uh, by far the most significant Spanish composer of the Counter-Reformation. Uh, the musical style can be described as having great mystical intensity, direct emotional appeal, very rich, full sonorities. 
Um, the religious music of uh, this composer, Victoria, shows a lot of influences. And what Charlotte was just talking about, I think, also parallels what I'm about to describe, which is that I think in Spain you had the influence of uh, a lot of other European traditions. And this is very much the case in this, in this particular with this particular composer. You have the influence of the madrigal, which comes out of Italy, out of England. It's a secular musical genre with a lot of text painting, meaning a lot of kind of cute musical um, ways in which composers describe an idea or a sound musically. Um, you have this, the influence of Spanish instrumental music, as we were just looking at, the more popular element. Uh, you have the Flemish polyphonic tradition uh, that is coming from the north. And then a lot of influence of the Roman style. Why the Roman style? Well, Victoria actually lived in Rome for a very long time. He moved to Rome when he was only 15. He was sent to Rome where he studied singing and musical composition. Uh, and he held numerous religious posts in Rome between 1569 and 1583. What was happening in Rome in those years? Well, the Council of Trent had just closed in 1563, and so we are very much within this counter-reformation tradition that we had actually talked about in the seminar once before. So um, religious music is very prominently uh, performed in Rome in this period. Um, around 1583, Victoria gets very homesick. Uh, he really wants to return to Spain. He had been living in Rome for um, a long time, and he writes to the king of Spain, and he expresses his desire to return to Spain, quote, to put an end to my labor of composing, to rest for a time in honest leisure, and to be able to compose my soul in contemplation as befits a, a priest. Uh, his request was granted by king of Spain, and sure enough, he, retur he returns to Spain, and he's given a very cushy, wonderful, prestigious uh, position as the personal chaplain and director of music uh, to the Empress Maria of Spain, who in 1581 had retired to a beautiful monastery, which is still in Madrid today, the Monasterio de las Descalzas Reales the Santa Maria in Madrid. And these are some images of that monastery uh, today in Madrid. Who was Maria of Spain? Uh, well, she was uh, not only the empress, the queen, if you will, of Spain, but um, she came from a very prominent lineage, the Habsburg um, family, uh, daughter of Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, sister of Philip II, King of Spain, and uh, wife of Maximilian II, Holy Roman Emperor. So very strong connections with kind of the who's who of Europe of that time period. Um, in 1603, Queen Maria dies, and Victoria, as a personal chaplain and composer to the queen, is asked to write a requiem mass. And this is one of the most sublime, spiritually intense works of late Renaissance, early Baroque music. Uh, the work was published in 1605. Uh, it's a work that is for six vocal parts with no instruments. And what uh, Victoria does is that he intersperses Gregorian chant uh, with 
polyphony, and we'll be listening to one example of that. This is the publication of 1605. If you read music, you can follow along. If you don't, not a problem. Just listen and enjoy. Uh, 1605, published in Madrid, which is a little bit unusual. Uh, we know that Venice, Antwerp, Rome were the printing capitals of Europe. Madrid was not for music, at least. But this particular work was published in Madrid. And here is the opening. You will hear Gregorian chant at the very beginning. And then when the polyphony comes in, that's where I will be pointing to the score. Follow the cantus line, the soprano line. So I uh, mentioned to you earlier some of the characteristics of um, this composer's style. And I want you to think about these as we listen to another excerpt of this Requiem Mass uh, from 1603. Uh, again, mystical intensity, direct emotional appeal, rich, full sound, rich, full sonorities. Um, and I have picked the second curia from this Requiem Mass as, I think, a really good example of this richness and this mystical intensity. This is my last example. That's the end. I have to share with you, I'm going to be going to England for one week next summer to um, perform this work and to study this work, uh, this Victoria Requiem, with the Talis scholars. I'm very excited about that. So when I come back next uh, fall, I'll maybe have a chance to share with you the wonderful um, experience that that will be, I'm sure. So I'll stop there, and uh, we will all, uh, in the very 
short three minutes we have, take your questions.